chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Tonight we're going to kick off a new series. We're going to be going through the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to be talking about the subject of the church ablaze. Over the next several weeks on Wednesday night Bible study, we're going to be going through the book of Acts. And, and I, a wonderful book. And, and uh, so we're going to just begin tonight looking at the first 11 verses here. Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. Go ahead and look there if you would. Can I get a volunteer that would be willing to read, read verses 1 through 11 tonight? Owen, you're going to stand up and read it loud, okay, so we all can listen. Just follow along as Owen reads. Theophilus. Good job, Owen. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. For a nine-year-old, he did an outstanding job. I tell you what. I, some people say this Bible's too hard to read. I'm not so sure about that. Amen. Thank you, Owen. You did a great job. But I'll tell you, the book of Acts is a wonderful book. And, and uh, talk about a church ablaze to see how God and how God worked through the church in the very beginning. And, and uh, you know, I heard about a, a, a town that was going to have a, a revival, and they were inviting everybody to come together for that revival, and they had an evangelist in mind that was going to come and for a gospel crusade, going to preach, and there was one preacher in that town that was upset about the fact that, that he was coming. It was one of those modernists, one of those people that uh, you might call liberal preachers, and he said, if he comes to this town, he's going to set our church back 50 years evangelistically. 50 years he's going to pull us back. Well, the evangelist, he heard about that, and he simply said, well, I don't want to set evangelism back 50 years in this town. I want to set it back 2,000 years in this town. <laughs> Amen. And I'll tell you what, that's what we need today. We need to be just like the church was. And I know there's going to be some things that we look at and we study 
that we could never repeat. It's just like the birthing of something. There's some things that in, our, in our life that you can never go back and repeat, but there are some things that we absolutely ought to be looking in this church to see that it's just like the church was there in, in Acts, just like the church there at Jerusalem. And as we see the different churches, in the very beginning there is the, the apostolic churches and how the apostles and worked in a great and powerful way. And, and, you know, the book of Acts is a great book. I love reading the book. Is anybody telling me, okay, when you're looking at the Bible, it's divided up. It's not chronological order, but it's divided up by type and, and then by size. And so the book of Acts would be considered what kind of book? Somebody help me out. What is it called? Anybody? Yeah, Owen. Owen seems to be on... Well, okay, it's not a gospel. No, nope. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a gospel. What would it be called? Acts is a what kind of book? You know, in class and history... Oh, I just said it. History. I didn't mean to give it up that, that easy. But it's a historical book. And I love looking at history. I, I enjoyed history growing up. I enjoyed it. I didn't like memorizing necessarily all the dates, but I love to hear about the things that happened. And the book of Acts is an amazing historical book that talks about the early church. It's a very unique book. It literally is the source book for the spread of early Christianity. You can go back and see how Christianity spread and see how God worked and how the power of the Holy Spirit was upon those early New Testament Christians, how God worked in a great and powerful way. It's a chronicle of the Holy Spirit of God, talking about how the Spirit worked in people's lives and how the Holy Spirit was given. And, and you know, it's a book with a splendid theme, tracing the work of, of, the, the, um, the work of the Holy Spirit through the birth, the infancy, the adolescence of the church. It's a great book to study. And when you look at the book of Acts, you know, you could give it a title of the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, or perhaps a title of the Acts of the Risen or Glorified Christ through the Apostles. And so, but we see here, when you look at your Bible, it's just the Acts of the Apostles. It's simple. And, and it's a, a great book. We're going to take some time looking at it. And, and, um, and when you look at the book of Acts, you know, oh, and he said it's a gospel. Well, it's a good counterpart to the Gospels. It truly is. Uh, it, it contrasts them. In the Gospels, the Son of Man offered His life. In Acts, the Son of God offered His power. The Gospels tell us of Christ crucified and Christ risen. The Acts, they speak of Christ ascended and exalted. The Gospels, they model the Christian life as lived by the perfect man, Jesus Christ. In Acts, it models uh, the model that we see here as you look through the, the, the Acts of the Apostles. We see the lives lived out by imperfect men. And now before we, we jump into our study and really dive into looking at this, I want to just do a little bit of uh, introduction to the book. I want us to spend some time, this is our Bible study, and, and as we look at this, I, I really want to try to, um, as we study this, have it be a true Bible study. And for us to do that, I want us to look at some different aspects of the, of the, the book of Acts so we have a better understanding of it. I've had people, let me just say this real quick. I've had somebody say to me, you know, you have, you have young people that grow up. I have some daughters that grew up and you taught them and you, you preached in church and they were in Sunday school. And then they grow up, they become adults and they call back and say, I just figured something out, Dad. Did you realize that the author of the book of Acts is, 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 is a, it's, it's the same as the author of the book of Luke? And I'm thinking to myself, oh my. 
You know, how in the world could they just now come to that understanding? I'm not trying to pick on them or nothing, but you know what? It's important that we understand the Word of God and that we teach the Word of God and that we listen when we're being taught the Word of God and we apply the truth to our life. Bottom line is there's a lot of things that are taught to kids that sometimes they don't get it until they get a little bit older and sometimes they realize and they don't even realize what they were taught um, and and, uh, they, they don't remember those things so it becomes personal for them. So I want to just kind of break this down, make sure we have a good understanding of it. And the first thing I want us to notice is the author of the book. And I've already said it. In Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 1. Notice what it says. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Here we see in an indirect way this verse is telling us who is the author of the book of Acts. We see it here. So I want you to to, to understand that. Look over if you would now. Turn back to Luke chapter 1. Let's make the connection. Luke chapter 1. This study tonight is more of a Bible study than it is a message that I'm preaching. There's going to be some preaching involved, but I really want for us to to delve into this and really dig a little deeper. And I want you to look here, Luke chapter 1, look at verse number 3. There it says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And so here we see that Luke wrote his gospel for Theophilus, is what he's saying here. He actually wrote it for him. And then when he wrote a sequel, the book of Acts, for Theophilus, he referred to his gospel, the former treaties, in, in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Acts. And so you might, I've heard some people say this, that Acts is, is like Luke 2. You got Luke 1, and then you got Luke 2. You could say it that way, and we call it a book of history because of what he covers in that book. Luke, of course, is a gospel because it covers the life of Jesus Christ. And then we see the book of history because it covers the history of the church, the, the book of Acts. But he wrote it specifically to a man, Theophilus. Interesting. Does anybody know anything about Theophilus? Does anybody know history at all about Theophilus? Not a man that was mentioned very often. He was mentioned three times in the Bible. Does anybody know anything about Theophilus? Yet we see that it was written to him. And Luke wrote both of these and he mentions his name specifically. Uh, Luke, it's, it's interesting talking about that. And, um, and so here he wrote about it. Uh, he, he wrote to him, and uh, many believe that uh, the man was a, um, a, a Roman um, a citizen. He was a Gentile. Um, and uh, uh, he was a man that, was, uh, that had perhaps a, a high ranking um, and a position. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But, um, and so Theophilus, he was a, a person that had a high position, and yet he was a believer. And so he was writing to him. All right, so how about Luke? Does anybody know who Luke was? What did Luke do for a living? Does anybody know? He was a doctor. That's exactly right, a medical doctor. The book of uh, Colossians tells us that. Um, 2 Timothy says that he was a companion to the imprisoned, the apostle Paul when he was in prison. Um, and um, we, we see that uh, Luke um, is mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, and Philemon, verse number 24. Um, and uh, Luke was a medical doctor. Uh, Luke was a believer. He was a Gentile. And so it's believed he was the only Gentile that wrote one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke being, being written by a Gentile. So it's interesting. And so we see the author of the book. 
Secondly, I want to notice the aim of the book. Look at verse number 1 of Acts once again. Go back to Acts chapter 1 if you would. We'll go back to Luke in a minute here. But look at Acts chapter 1 verse 1. Notice it says there, once again, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And because Luke referred to his gospel as the former treaties, we, we can consider Acts to be the second volume of Luke's writing, like I mentioned earlier. In the Gospel of Luke, it deals with what Jesus began both, it says there, both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. And, and so Acts, it deals with what Christ continued to do after he was taken up through the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles. You can see that in chapter 1, verse 24, chapter 2, verse 33, uh, chapter 3, verse, um, I mean, chapter 2, verse 47 as well. And so now what Luke is saying is this. In the gospel, I showed you all that Christ started to do. And in the book of Acts, I'm going to show you all that Christ continues to do. And so it's a continuation. Even though Christ is not here in the flesh, he's going to continue to do his work. The gospel of Luke tells us of Christ's ministry while here on earth in the physical body. The book of Acts tells us what Christ's ministry from heaven is going to do through the spiritual body, the church. He's going to use the church now to fulfill what he had said that they were going to do to fulfill the great commission and, and to empower them with the Holy Spirit of God. And so in, in the book of Luke, Christ is still alive and, and active. And, and in the book of Acts, Christ is still alive and active. He's not here physically, but he is still, his work is still being done. He just has a different body for ministry. So what is that body? It is the body of the, the local church. It is this body right here. It is us. It is the body, it is the, the, the church of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And so he continues to do that, and we see that. Christ lives in us. Colossians 1.27 says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this ministry among, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Boy, aren't you thankful that you have Christ in your heart tonight? Are you glad you're saved? Amen. And so, the, the, you know, I'm thankful that he's still working within us. He wants to work in us. He wants to do something through us. And so we need to understand that. So here we see that's what's happening here, the aim of the book. And, and we see here that Luke, he, he's saying that I wrote the gospel. That's what Jesus began to do. And I'm writing this book. That's what Jesus is continuing to do. And so it's a continuation. And to see the actual practical application of what Christ taught the apostles to do. And now they're going out and they're, they're doing what, God, what Christ had commanded them to do. And so the aim of this book is to show us Christ's ministry from heaven through his spiritual body, the church. Now, chronologically, <clears throat> we see that, that, that the book is arranged. And um, it, when you look at the time frame of how it's arranged, um, it begins from the year 30, approximately 30 A.D. There's a 30-year period of time that we see happening in the book of Acts. It starts in 30 A.D. with the ascension of Christ to 60 A.D. when, when Paul takes the gospel to Rome. And so it's over approximately a 30-year period of time. And, uh, and where do these events take place? It's interesting when you look at it. It's like a travelogue. It's like you, you know, you're looking at the, the, how the, the, that we see that um, the, the apostles are there in Jerusalem and how the, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and how that there's Peter's preaching there at Pentecost and how that church at Jerusalem is built. And, and then we see how it moves on and it goes over into Syria and then Turkey. And then um, literally it goes across the Mediterranean to Greece and then finally to Italy. We see it moving through. 
So geographically, uh, when you look at the, 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 the movement of what happened, we have to understand that really is the key to understanding the book. There's a movement. We see the Bible is being preached there in Jerusalem, but it doesn't just stay there. And God doesn't intend for his gospel to stay where the people are at. It's to go. It's supposed to move. And we see that throughout the book, that's what happens. And um, they're, they're, for us to underline, uh, understand this book, we have to look at chapter 1 and verse number 8. Look back there, if you would, Acts chapter 1. Look at verse number 8 and notice what it says. We see here the analysis of the book. It says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so we, we could literally outline the, the book biographically. We see ver, uh, chapters 1 through 12, it's a focusing on Peter. Uh, chapters 13 through 28, it's focusing on the Apostle Paul. And, uh, but the best way to outline the book is geographically, using what we see here in this verse, verse number 8. At how the Holy Ghost comes upon them. We see it begins in Jerusalem, and then it moves to all of Judea, and then in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And so if you look at it that way, chapters 1 through 7, they describe the church established there in Jerusalem. We see that all those first seven chapters are talking about the church of Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 12, we see the church scattered to Judea and Samaria. Does anybody know why they were scattered Persecution, absolutely. There had to be persecution. They got real comfortable there. Persecution came. And so we see chapters 8 through 12 is scattered through Judea and Samaria. And finally, chapters 13 through 28, we see the church is extended to the, to the remotest part of the earth, of course, in that day. And so we see it was established, it was scattered, and it was extended. And these three words, they tell us about the application of the book. You see, Luke's story of the church, it remarkably, it resembles our own Christian life. If you think about it, our own Christian development, our own Christian growth. You see, because we go through stages of establishing. Think about it when you first got saved. As a new Christian, we enter a period of putting down roots. We mature over time. Uh, Christ begins to, uh, to, to, to become more real in our life. We get to know him more and more. Christ holds him, us close to himself often protecting us from many of life's pains and, and giving a sturdy foundation. That's what should happen. You know, that's why it's so great when kids get saved at a young age. They get, they get that security. Christ is there with them. You know, in our life, we have that time, that, that sturdy foundation that's built. And then according to his timetable, the next phase begins. There's a scattering that happens. Persecution, pain, discomfort, disappointment. They're all watermarks of the, the stage in our life of being scattered. Christ allows trials to wash over our lives. And we go through those difficult times, and through those times, the Lord, He strengthens us so that eventually we can go then to the next phase of life. You know, the difficulties that we go through are not without a reason. God establishes us. God builds us. God then allows for us to go through these difficult times of, you might call, scattering in our life. So what? So that we can get to the place of extending. For having uh, profited from going through that difficult time, we can now use it because we're now seasoned, we're mature servants of Christ, and we're able to then share and, and be able to help others through that difficult time. So it's interesting, you see the church went through the same thing, and we go through it as well. Now, giving a, a little bit of, of, about um, the author of it, I want to go now jump into the very first point that I want to look at tonight here in Acts chapter 1, and it's this. Is Christ's work finished or not? Is his work finished or not? 
Look back, if you would, at chapter 1, verse number 1. Notice what it says. It says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. I want you to underline in your mind that word there, began. It implies that Christ's work on earth was not finished yet. And yet, if you remember in John 17, 4, in Christ's high, his high priestly prayer, he said this, I have finished the work which thou givest me to do. And if you remember when he died on the cross, what he said, he said, it is finished. John 19, verse 30. And I think the reason Luke said that Christ's work had begun is because he was referring to the work of evangelism. He was referring to the work of teaching. You can mark it down that Christ had finished salvation's work, though. He had paid our sin debt. He had died and did exactly what His Father's will was for Him on earth. And now the work begins. Yes, He continues to work, but it begins to be working through His church, through evangelism and teaching. And his redemptive work now is going to be spread through the local church. That's why in these opening verses we see the the risen Lord uh, uh, conveying. Uh, He's imparting truth to the apostles. And it's interesting to notice that what, what, what Christ imparted to them, how Christ impacted it, and to whom it is imparted, uh, how, whom he imparted it to. Look at verse number one once again. He says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And there we see Theophilus once again. It's an interesting name, Theophilus. His meaning, it's it's a combined of of two different Greek words. It means beloved of God or friend of God. I wouldn't mind having a name that meant that. Beloved of God or friend of God. And once again, there's not much known about him other than the fact that uh, we we know that um, there's some historical writers that say that he was a Roman citizen. Uh, He was a believer. Um, He was a high-ranking official. Um, In Luke chapter 1, Luke says of him, most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent. So he was in a position, perhaps, of, of being in a position of power. But notice what he says to Theophilus. Luke speaks about a beginning. He says that the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He's not talking about an ending here. He says he's talking about a beginning here. That doing and teaching is still going on, which is what the book of Acts is all about. It's all about the doing and the teaching. The doing and the teaching of Christ and what Christ commanded them to do. The Lord Jesus Christ did not leave for home until, it says, after that He had, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles, the Word tells us. And so now in all uh, Christian work, there are three indispensable elements which are brought before us in these opening verses. And I want to just break this down for the next few moments. And I want you to notice the first thing that we see is that the Word of God, we're talking about the indispensable elements that are broken down here. We see, first of all, the Word of God, the message. The Word of God, the message. Listen, for us to effectively carry out the work that Christ has given us, We have to have the Word of God. We have to know the Word of God. We have to have the Word of God and and preach the Word of God. Uh, Go back, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. Look, if you would. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Remember how Christ, how he taught his disciples, he taught them all through his ministry, all the way up to the day that he ascended into heaven. 
In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, there we see, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you which I was, when I was yet with you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Notice here what was to be. First of all, was the source of their message. They were to handle the Bible with the same kind of insight and authority as Christ. Did Christ handle the Bible? When I say handle, I'm talking about have a handle on the Bible. They were to have an insight, and they were, able, they were supposed to handle the Bible as Christ did. You remember how Christ, how he quoted the Word of God? He, obviously, he is the Word. But we are to, we are to have a, a, a handle on the Word of God. We're to have a proper understanding of the message that God has for us. Why are we here? What is the purpose of Lighthouse Baptist Church? Why are you a Christian that's still here on earth that God has not taken to heaven yet? What, what is your purpose in being here? What are we supposed to be doing? Lots of questions. Anybody have answers? It's a good ringtone. Don't worry about it. So let me say, should I ask the question again? Why are we here? What is the purpose of this church? What is the purpose of you as a Christian still being here in the flesh in this world? The Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? What's that? Spread the gospel. Absolutely. Okay. It's to spread the gospel, see people get baptized, to see people, to teach them all things whatsoever commanded you. And how are we going to do that? We have to do it by sharing the gospel, by sharing the word of God. And the, the source of the message is not about what, um, what, what if physical things are happening with us. The source of our message is not to be entertainment, even though there's times that we have entertainment to try to draw people. We do. We do it at the Vacation Bible School. But the source of the message is the word of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That needs to be the focus of everything. That needs to be the center of everything that we do and understand that the purpose that we're here is to share the gospel. And we see, so we see the source of their message. We also see the substance of their message, that repentance, Luke chapter 24, verse 47, look at verse 47 there, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. That's the substance of the message. I've heard some people say, well, I don't like those hellfire and brimstone messages. It says right here that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached. That is supposed to be the substance of the message. And so obviously, we need to have a continual preaching of that. And primarily, many times on Sunday mornings, I will preach that message. It's important that we, we see the, the substance of, and that's the message that they were preaching. You look at what Peter preached there in Acts chapter 2. The message that he was preaching was repentance and remission of sin. There's no question. What does that mean, repentance and remission? What is that talking about? What do those words mean? Anybody? Help me out. What does that mean? Repentance and remission. Yes, sir. Repentance, that's what I do. Remission, that's what Jesus did. Absolutely. Repentance is on my half. I have to turn away from and turn toward God. Remission is what Christ does for us as a result of that. Because of what he has done for us. And it should be preached. That's the good thing. You're preaching repentance, but you're saying there's going to be remission. There's going to be forgiveness. And so we see that. And then we see the significance of their message. The significance in verse 47, I would say, would be this. In his name. 
We are preaching in the name of Jesus. We are preaching repentance and remission in His name. That was the significant thing. And in the Acts, we're going to see that everything was linked to that name. The name of Jesus. It's linked to that. His, his was the name that would ring throughout Jerusalem. His was the name that would be, I mean, ring throughout every place that the church would go, all the way to Caesar there in Rome. The name of Jesus would ring out. And that's, that's the main thing that we see as we look at the book of Acts. Notice also, if you would, the scope of their message. It says, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Verse number 47. Among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. We also see the success of their message. Look at verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye, endu- uh, until ye be endued with power from on high. Now just stop for just a moment and think about that. He, what he's telling them to do. At that point in time, this was a future event. I look back at it and it's history. I look at the book of Acts. I look at history. I see it did happen. They were looking forward to that time. They were having to trust Christ to do that. And the success of their message was contingent upon this. That they would be there, obedient to what he said to do, and that, that he says, I send the promise of my Father upon you, and you're going to be endued with power from on high. And so here we see that, that that actually did happen. The power came with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And now this teaching was entrusted to the apostles whom he had chosen. Back to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 2. The apostles that he had chosen. And so we need to know the Word of God before we can share it with others. We need to know. There's no substitute for that. We have to know the Word of God. Hosea said this in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. He says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. One of the greatest problems in the church today is ignorance. The greatest problem that Christians have today is ignorance. When it comes to sharing the gospel, the greatest problem that we have today is ignorance. There's some people who have gone to church for 10, for 20 and, and the years. They've never grown. They don't know more about the Bible today than they did then. And yet we need to know that God doesn't tolerate ignorance. God doesn't want us to be ignorant as His children. He tells us, I mean, you can see it again and again and again in the Bible, a challenge for us to learn, but 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. We're to study. We're to know the Word of God. And so I want to ask you, I want you to think about this. Are you thinking about stepping into some type of Christian ministry? Are you involved in some type of Christian ministry? Are you serving God? Do you recognize the need to know the Word of God? To be prepared. And now let me say it this way. You realize that every one of us are ministers? Every one of us are involved in ministry? Are you prepared or do you know the Word of God? One of the greatest ministries that you have, if you're, if you're a mom or a dad, is the ministry of teaching your children. Do you know the Word of God? I'm challenging you. You need to know the Word of God. You need to teach your children the Word of God. Are you teaching in a Sunday school class? I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I know that. But are you studying the Word of God? Are you preparing for your lesson? Are you working in, in the bus ministry? Know the Word of God. Be able to share the Word of God. Are you a soul winner? You know, a lot. Of, going back once again, one of the greatest problems we have in church today is ignorance. There's so many Christians today that if they, somebody begged them to show them how to show them how to be saved, they wouldn't know where to even go in the Word of God. And I, I challenge you, learn the Word of God to be able to know how to lead a person to Christ. Be ready to give an answer. Know the Word of God. Grab on to it. Study the Word of God. And so... Christ, He taught the disciples right up until the time that He ascended into heaven. And there was the, the Word of God, the message, 
And, and we see then secondly, the Spirit of God, the might. Go back to Acts chapter 1 if you would. <clears throat> if you're already there, go ahead and look there if you would. It, 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 you notice it says in verse number 2, that it says that Christ gave His commandments to the apostles through what? Help me out. What did He give it? Through what? Acts 1-2. You see it? Through what? The Holy Ghost. Through the Holy Ghost. He gave His commandments to the apostles through the Holy Ghost. And so here we see, this is interesting. I want you to think about this with me. We're talking about the Spirit of God, the might. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, where did He get His strength from? Where did He get His power from? Where did He get His enablement from? Help me out. Where did He get it from? Anybody? Does anybody know? Raise your hand if you know. The Holy Spirit. We're talking about the second person of the Godhead needed the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, to enable him to do what he did here on earth. You think about the temptations in the desert, how the Holy Spirit, I mean, again and again and again, we see the Holy Spirit enabling him. Now, I, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. Am I the only one that, that, that I struggle with that a little bit? But did you ever think that perhaps the reason why that we see that Jesus Christ did that was to show an example? Everything that he did was an example for us, how to live the, the life, that we, the perfection that we could not do. But there's a whole lot that he lived that we can do, that he wants us to do, he wants us to emulate and follow. You think perhaps that maybe he was led by the Holy Spirit and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to set an example for us? We need the Holy Spirit's power in our life. Look if you would, uh, back to Luke chapter 4, look at verse 14. Here we see an example of that. Once again, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the regions round about. He returned in the power of the Spirit. It's amazing that he used the Spirit. I think that he, we see this happening as, because it's an example to us. Listen, all that we do for God, our teaching, preaching, uh, witnessing, evangelizing, working inside that class, uh, working in that bus ministry, I mean, even working in the nursery ought to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit of God and loving the way God wants us to love and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Everything that we do, it must be in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so there's the Word of God, the message. There's the Spirit of God, the might. Thirdly, there's the men of God, the medium. The medium, how God works through them. Look at, back to chapter 1 of Acts, if you would. Look at verse number 2 once again. I'm trying to keep track of my time. Look there if you would. Just a simple part of it I want you to look at. Verse number 2, the apostles whom he had chosen. We've already read that. The apostles, that's the key I want you to notice. The men of God, the medium. You see, the Savior chose his own missionaries. He taught them. He commissioned them. He gave them certain responsibilities. And the same is true for us. We are chosen of Christ. I want you to get that in your mind. I want you to understand that every single one of us, we have been chosen by Christ and we have been given a job to do. We have been commissioned by Him. We are the medium by which God wants to work through us to share the message, that, that, that the might of the Holy Spirit of God. He wants to work through us. We are His hands. We are His feet. We are the ones that are going to speak His Word here on earth. 
In John 15, verse 16, it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. We are the ones that are supposed to bring forth fruit. And so, but to be an effective uh, person serving the Lord for Christ, you have to be saturated in the Word of God. You have to know the Word of God. You have to have the power of the Word of God in your life. I think it was great uh, what C.H. Spurgeon said. He said this, listen. He says, we might preach until our tongues rotted, until we exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit uses the Word to convert it. There's never going to be a person that's saved unless we use the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God convicts them of their sin. And the Word of God is used to to, to speak to them. And they come to salvation. And so just in in bringing it all together tonight, as we stop here in our study, we'll, we'll continue on next week. But here's the question. It's this. Are you delving into the Word of God? Are you studying the Word of God? Does the very essence of the Bible flow from you? When you have a question in life, where do you find the answer? When you have a question in a moment, where does the verse come from? Or is there a verse that comes? Do you have the Word of God flowing from you? When that, when that question is brought to you by your, your, your child or your young person, do, are you able to go and answer it from the Word of God? When that person at work asks the question, are you able to share the Word of God? Are you actively taking it in? Are you actively pouring it out to others? And that's the challenge tonight. As we look at the study here, we need to look at the fact that what happened and how the Word of God went forth and how many souls were saved. And the question tonight is, do we have the Word of God in our hearts? Are we seeing God work in a great and powerful way in our lives as well? Let's all stand up with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the, just uh, the barely getting into the beginning of the book of Acts, Lord. And I, I pray that You would help us to to not just look at it as history. Uh, Lord, that we would not just look at it as something that happened in the past. Lord, that we would glean from it and learn from it. Lord, that we would apply the truth to our life. Uh, Lord, we know that we saw uh, through history, Lord, in this great book of the great things that you did and the many souls that were saved. And Lord, it happened because people were willing. They were obedient. They were surrendered. They were willing to give all. They were willing to give their lives. I pray, Lord, that we would live our lives Lord, for your glory, I pray that we would offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable. Lord, that we would lay ourselves down before you and that you would use us. And Lord, that we would be willing to get into your word. Lord, that it would come forth from our hearts. It would be filled with your spirit and your power. pray that you'd challenge our hearts. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the privilege to serve you. Thank you for using us, your church, as your body. I pray, Lord, that we would witness and see folks come to know you as their Savior. Tonight, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you. What power are you serving God in? Are you delving into the Word of God daily? Does the Bible flow from you? Are you actively taking it in? If you're actively taking it in, it's going to pour out of you. Are you witnessing? Are you sharing?
Does the Holy Spirit have control of your heart and your life? Do you know the Word of God? Are you, are you growing spiritually? I see things that happened there in the book of Acts and all the wonderful things that God performed in the Holy Spirit's power. It's not going to happen if we're not willing to surrender ourselves, to die to ourselves, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Would you ask God to fill you, to use you?